This is the evening sermon from Hillcrest Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. For more information on Hillcrest Bible Church, please visit our website at hillcrestbible.org. Tonight's message is at least loosely related to the message uh, I preached a week ago about freedom in the morning service, in that it is about getting along with government. Uh, and so last time we, you know, the freedom message was about, you know, well, what's it take to embrace and maintain freedom, both personal and national? Uh, tonight applies to any believer, you know, whether they happen to be, no matter what their government is. Okay, so thankfully we still have the best one on the face of the planet, I believe. Uh, but um, uh, in case that ever changes, well, this will still be applicable. Uh, our forefathers, of course, never proposed that freedom meant the absence of government. In this, they agreed with the Bible, for the Bible tells us that God has ordained both human government in principle and individual governments in fact. And that, I believe, we'll see tonight in clear words. Now, I should mention, I thank Matthew for his message this morning. It was great. And it happened to also turn out to be a great segue for this message tonight, for it reminded us that ultimately God is our king, right? Well, that king has called us to submit to the human government that he, that is God, has placed over us. And that's a fundamental thing we'll talk about tonight as well. So it's fitting to reflect, therefore, upon the Christian's responsibility to our government or any government under which he or she may find him or herself. And this may be especially timely because the opposition to our current government seems to become more vitriolic and vicious day by day, wouldn't you say? I've never seen anything quite like it in my lifetime. Uh, and... Uh, some of it, unfortunately, is coming from Christians, even some I personally know. So perhaps the passage before us is timely, where it gives us occasion to reflect upon what the Bible says about the Christian's attitude toward their government and the actions that result from that attitude. So the message this evening is kind of split up into two major parts. We're going to talk about the attitude the believer should have toward the human government placed over them. Uh, and then we'll talk about the actions that ought to result from that attitude. So that's the general plan here. So, a Christian's attitude toward government. Well, this, is, this passage is pretty clear. I'm going to read verses 13 through 17, and then we'll talk about it. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So it's pretty obvious what our basic attitude should be toward government. The believer is commanded to submit to every ordinance of men. Now, he obviously means laws ordained by government by this phrase because he, of what he cites. He cites, first of all, to in verse 13, um, whether to the king is supreme, or in verse 14, as to governors, those who might be below him, who are 
there to help implement and enforce those laws. So it's, how many ordinances does it say? It says every ordinance. So we can't just pick and choose, you know, what are our favorites and leave off those that aren't, that we don't approve of or whatever. He says every ordinance. And then he gives us the basic fundamental um, reason for doing this, our fundamental motive, and that is for the Lord's sake. So this is God's will for us to do this. We may not always like it, but there you go. Pretty plain, wouldn't you say? For the Lord, this is for several reasons related to the Lord's sake. First of all, because he's commanded us to obey our, to obey our government here, and we'll see elsewhere in a few minutes. Because obeying it is part of our witness for Christ, and we'll talk a little more about that. And because that government, yes, that specific government, was placed there by God. You say, what? How can that be? You know, because maybe a Christian doesn't like the government they're under. Well, I've talked to God about that because the Bible says he put it there. And so we're going to talk about that for a few minutes. It's good to remember that government is God's invention, not man's. And we have proof of that starting in the Old Testament scriptures. So you might want to keep your finger here for a minute and turn back to Genesis chapter 9, please. Genesis 9 and verse 6. Now, Genesis 9 is a chapter about Noah and his family exiting the ark after they've been aboard it for about a year. And the Lord makes some promises to him. And in verse um, 6, we see that God says something that he had never said before up to this point. He says, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. From the image of God he made man. This verse is the foundational verse for government in all ages since. You see, before the flood, God gave no permission to man, acting either singly or collectively, to take the life of any individual. Here, he changes things. He gives man, acting collectively, we're not talking about vendettas here, vigilantes or whatever, acting collectively in a government, he gives man permission, in fact, an order, acting singly or collectively, to take the life of a murderer. That's specific. But really, if you... Go from here throughout the Bible. It's pretty obvious that all the other powers of government really derive from this one, this ultimate power to take the life of an individual. Why do you do this? Well, to protect human life, because men are created in the image of God. It says here, for in the image of God he made man. So government's task is to protect human life. And this command has never been abrogated. We know that several things in the New Testament made some Old Testament things, particularly things about the ritualistic part of the law, for example, made those things obsolete. Reference the book of Hebrews for a prime example. But this one, has, there's no verse of Scripture subsequent that says that anything has changed. This stays the same. Rather, 
instead of being abrogated or canceled, this has been confirmed in the rest of Scripture. So, again, you might want to keep your ver- another finger here, or you don't have to. I'll read it for you if you want. In fact, I'm like, you don't have to turn here. You probably know the passage well anyway. It's Romans 13, verses 1 and 4, where Paul talks about these very same themes. Verse um, 1 of chapter 13, book of Romans says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. There's a verse that proves very clearly, doesn't it, that government in principle is is God-ordained. And not only that, but individual governments are put in place by God and sometimes taken down again, as we know. As it says, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Verse 4 talks again about what they do, and this, this carries right over from Genesis 9-6. He says, For he is God's minister, that is, the one in power, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. There's that taking of human life thing. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Well, why did God institute human government? Well, because of what the whole era previous to the flood proved. That if, you, if, you, if man doesn't have some earthly restraint, he'll go from bad to worse. That whole time period leading up to the, the flood is one of those times that just proves the depravity of man. And left to himself, well, we know what happens. If we go back to Genesis 6 for a moment here. Genesis 6 now, just a few, couple of pages before the Genesis 9 passage you looked at. So Genesis 6-5, first of all, this is before the flood, and this is God's evaluation of mankind at the time. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Pretty good statement of man's fundamental sinful nature, wouldn't you say? Now, that period also proved not only what man's fundamental nature is like, but it also proves what happens when you let him totally alone. And there's no consequences for his sin at all. And that's 11, uh, 11 here, and 12. 6, 11, and 12. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And we know that by God's grace, only Noah was saved out of this, this generation and his family. So that's why, after this time period when God flooded the entire earth to kill all flesh besides whoever was, who was in the, those in the ark, uh, that's why after Noah comes out of the ark, 
God changes the rules. And he institutes the foundation of what we would call human government. And we see, as we compare that again with the book of Romans we just read, that their mandate really hasn't changed. It hasn't been made obsolete. Now, as with all things run by men, human government is far from perfect. Would you agree? Is there anybody here that's never been frustrated with government? Raise your hand. I don't believe you, Jeff, but there you go. Never been frustrated by government. (laughs) He just takes it in stride, maybe. Good for him. (laughs) Yeah, it can be frustrating sometimes. And, of course, we have to realize that not only are they frustrating, but history has proven that, ironically, though governments are supposed to restrain and prevent the exercise of evil, sometimes government themselves can perpetrate great evil. But that doesn't change this institution by God. The Bible doesn't say things are different if you've got a bad government. So it doesn't change this institution by God, nor the responsibility of God's own to obey it. Note, by the way, just a side comment here, that restraining evil is the sole God-given responsibility of government. It doesn't do very well when it starts branching out into other areas, which it naturally tends to do. It is to be a punisher, for example, not a provider. It does not do well in the latter role. That's God's province. But what it does say is that it's for the praise of those who do good, not to provide for those who do good. So. It's a restrainer of evil, and by way of contrast, it praises, or it's supposed to praise, those who do good. Reward them with peace, at least. Peace from the government. So that's where government came from. Probably most of you already know this, but hopefully it's helpful to review some of the passages that that are the foundation for government. So that should form our attitude toward it, that it really is part of God's will for our life, and it's ordained by him. So the next question is, if we've got the right attitude about it, and the right belief concerning the truth of it, then what do we do? Well, the bottom line is to do what government says. Now, we've already read uh, Romans 13.1 for that. I'm going to go back to the first Peter passage here. So that's essentially what first Peter 2.13 says too, doesn't it? Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. The bottom line is we're supposed to obey the governing authorities. Whatever they say we're not supposed to do, we don't do that. Whatever they say we're supposed to do, that's what we do. So that's the plain command of those first, first Peter 2.13 and Romans 13.1. So a lot of Christians want to know what God's will is for their life. Well, here's at least part of it. Do good, including good in the eyes of the government. Why? 
Well, we see in verse 15 here, for example, for this is the will of God. So if you wondered if this is the will of God or not, there it is in plain black and white. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So if we obey the governing authorities, it leaves the enemies of Christ nothing to say because there is nothing that they can accuse us of. As we know, we've had some Bible characters in the Bible that were accused wrongly by individuals, and their basis of the accusations was that they were disobeying commands. Remember Daniel. And uh, the enemies of Daniel got the king to decree that nobody should basically pray to anybody except him. And uh, so Daniel just kept on doing what he did every day and prayed to the Lord, and so they accused him. But we know the happy outcome of the story, right? Daniel did just fine in the lion's den. His accusers, not so much. And so one reason we obey, then, is this is part of our witness for Christ. And if those, there are those that would try to accuse us, as, they, as our lives are looked at, nobody can really pin anything on us. So they start to look pretty foolish, as Daniel's persecutors did. Now, so the question arises, since we're supposed to, natu- the basic thing we're supposed to do with, with government is obey it, is there any time when government should not be obeyed? The answer is yes, but that's very rare, and one must be very sure of oneself before one goes down that path. I believe that the fundamental rule here, or the fundamental deciding point, is simply this. If government sins against you, then you still obey. But if the government asks you to sin, then you refuse. See the difference? If government sins against you, you still humbly obey. It's not your problem. It's not your responsibility. The only responsibility is to still obey. But if they ask you personally to do something you know is clearly contrary to the Word of God, then you respectfully say no. And not complain about the consequences. That could be a little harder, but that's got to be part of it, right? The classic examples of this are in the book of Acts. So again, you might want to keep your finger here, and we'll go to the book of Acts for a moment. There are two examples quite close together. These are obviously the very earliest days of the church, and Peter and John are preaching the word in Jerusalem. What I'd like to look here is Acts 4, 18-20, and then one verse from chapter 5. They're two separate incidents. So Acts 4, verses 18-20, to 20, um, I should maybe start with 17, because this is the conclusion of what the rulers in Jerusalem decided to do about this incipient Christianity that was catching on like wildfire. So they, they bring Peter and John in, in verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, 
nor teach in the name of Jesus. So here's where Peter and John had to draw the line, and this is their, this is their response. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So at this point, they threaten them in verse 21, and they go on their way. Now turn the page over to chapter 5, verse 29. So they keep preaching. So the leaders haul them back. And they're a little harsher this time. Okay? But the charge is basically the same. Except now they're feeling guilty because they're saying that you guys are bringing the blood of this man Jesus on our heads. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I was doing. Uh, but um, they command them, therefore, don't keep preaching this. Verse 29 says this, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So again, these are probably the two best-known incidents in the Bible where a Christian was given a clear choice. They're being asked to sin by the government, and they just say no. So if we go down a little ways here, um, from the right spot, what they end up doing is, uh, is beating them somewhat and then letting them go. But they don't mind. They go away rejoicing that they're worthy to, be, to suffer on the behalf of, of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Makes you wonder what we'd do, doesn't it? I'd rather not have to find out. But it's an interesting question. Probably we don't know, unless it happens to us. Then you'd hope you'd keep your nerve. But I dare say, I can probably safely say, the government has not asked you to sin lately. Sometimes I wonder if it'll come to that, with some of the things that are out there. And as Pastor has said, he'd probably be the first one they come for, because he's the one speaking what the Bible says. And even to speak against certain uh, concerning certain moral issues, it's considered imp- not politically correct, and so it could cause trouble. So we don't know how it might go. So it might be something for us to think about. So, you know, a person might be able to bring up some other objections, but I believe they, they kind of they fall apart. Um, what if they persecute Christians, he asked. Well, Rome was persecuting Christians when this was Penn. So here, and what if, what if a government is a foreign conqueror? Again, Rome was just that for Peter's audience. So no loophole there. Hmm. I thought maybe that perhaps God allowed things to be the way they were at this time in order to be a lesson for us that there are no loopholes. You can't just bow out because they're persecuting Christians and say, I shouldn't obey them because they're persecuting Christians. And you can't bow out just because maybe, you know, we've been invaded and we're ruled over by a foreign power. Because that's exactly the context they were in. No loopholes unless you are asked to sin. That's the one. 
Now, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter, chapter 2 again, 13 to 17. And we'll take a look at the rest of the passage. Obviously, as believers, we're to live in the light of what God says about us and about others. It says here in verse 16 that we're to live as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. So as free, ultimately, we really are free of all earthly bonds and and obligations because we are citizens of heaven, not the earth. We're pilgrims passing through. We don't belong here. We're foreigners as believers in Christ. And since God has the final say and we'll be spending eternity with him, then we really are free of all things down here. But, so we are free from what the world can do to us, for example. For if they kill us, we only see eternity sooner. But this reminds us that though we are free in this way, we do not have the right to exercise this freedom in full down here because we are bondservants of God. And this means, among other things, for this passage, we submit to earthly powers because God has commanded it. And we do not use our freedom as an excuse to obey. How do you suppose that would stand up in a court of law? Well, I'm a Christian. I don't need to obey you. I don't think I go over too well. And it shouldn't. Unless they ask you to sin. That's a different matter. So, We never use our freedom as an excuse to disobey, but as a reason to obey. Again, as it said earlier on in verse 13, we obey for the Lord's sake. And we seek to live blameless lives in the sight of men because we see it as our ministry to men. Thus we obey government and heed the the exhortations of verse 17. So we'll go through those. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Honor all. People is in italics in mind. That means a translator stuck it there, but it's pretty much, obviously, I think it's a fair thing to do. That's what he means. Honoring all, including unbelievers. Why do we do that? Well, if for no other reason, they're made in the image of God, right? So we are to honor them at least for that reason. Is there any exception for what if they hate us? I'm not seeing it. Again, no loophole. Honor all. Even those who may hate us. Maybe especially those. Loving your enemy tends to sometimes have an impact on the enemy. (laughs) It baffles them, if nothing else. So honor all people, then love the brotherhood. Now, there's a step beyond just honoring, right? He's talking about fellow believers, isn't he? And what's one reason we do that? Well, it's perhaps our greatest tool to win others to Christ. Behold how they love one another, the Roman world said of the Christians, even as they were persecuting. They were impressed by the relationship between believers. 
that kind of witness still has power today. I've shared with some of you my own personal testimony and how the love between Christians in a church that I was kind of hanging around in, but still I wasn't a believer, that was visible to me. I knew I was on the outside looking in, but I was impressed and amazed at how they loved and cared for one another. It looked pretty good to me. So they're still watching us and watching how we behave toward one another. Fear God is the next one. What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear of God. So at least fearing God will make us wise. And others see that too. And others may see the merit of that wisdom, you see, and desire it also. So again, he's kind of another outreach tool in a way. And then finally, honor the king for all the reasons we've talked about. Honor those who rule over us because God has placed them there. And if we do these things, we may, have, we may well have influence beyond our imagining. As others that marvel and others mark, they may marvel that we respect them, even as they despise us and attack us. And again, they must admit, behold how they love one another. As they see that we have courage they cannot explain, because ultimately, we fear God alone. So even if you know, the government is persecuting us, they're really not the ultimate power over us, right? We don't have to really fear them. We fear God alone, who ultimately has control of the whole situation. And finally, as it says, honor the king. As we honor the powers God has placed over us, that can produce influence for Christ. And we might just find, as we honor the powers God has placed over us, that we might just influence them toward godliness. This is what our forefathers did, who came here in a bunch of wooden ships to a, you know, a hostile shore, so to speak and began to build, and realized that they needed some rules. So they set some basic ones down when they landed. The Mayflower, Mayflower Compact, of course, is the most famous one. But when it came time to found a nation, um, even as I talked about last week, it was these individuals and their godliness that formed the tenor of that government and what it was really all about. And, of course, allowed that government to, to try this great experiment, the experiment to find out whether a people can rule themselves well enough to require minimal government. We're still testing that. And we believers, even as our forefathers were, should be at the forefront of preserving those freedoms by ruling ourselves, ultimately. And that influences government, as our forefathers did, not so much through political activism, but through godly lives that bear witness to the power of the King of kings and Lord of lords, even Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that um, your word really addresses 
all of life, and including this one, that can sometimes be frustrating. But we thank you that ultimately you are in control, and thank you that we can know that when we obey those who are over us, that we're really obeying you. And so, Father, give us wisdom to honor all and to love the brotherhood and to, um, to honor the king, that we might have an influence in our own quiet way to promote godliness perhaps around us, around us as they see our life is different, which ultimately can have an impact upon that very government we're called to obey. So thank you for these things. Thank you for your plan and purpose for our lives, and thank you for leading us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the evening sermon at Hillcrest Bible Church. In addition to our website, hillcrestbible.org, you can follow us on Facebook under Hillcrest Bible Church or through Twitter under Hillcrest Bible. You can also subscribe to the sermon podcast on our sermons page or directly in iTunes.